The scripture for today's teaching comes from Philippians 4, verse 4 through 9, and John 14, verse 27. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is God's word. Good morning, way folks. The heat is on. I think we're going to be setting some records when it comes to heat this next week. Hopefully you're in a place filled with air conditioning, maybe even on a couch, just enjoying this. Let's head back into our series, Oh Anxious Heart. And this week, uh, we want to look at it from a specific angle. And if anxiety is the opposite of peace, we want to first approach, especially this week, anxiety through the lens of peace. So the questions I want to ask this morning, or the three things I want to cover is, why are we not at peace as Christians? That's one. And two, uh, just what is peace? And three, uh, I want us to confront the peace assassins in our life. I want us to confront those. There's three of them. So I, I think a uh, a good question to ask is why are we not at peace as Christians? And we have to have just a small conversation in regard to expectations. I, I, I think most Christians, just in my pastoral experience, most Christians expect peace to look like life calmness and or the absence of pain. Uh, so growing up, I, I started playing basketball at an early age, and I've always been playing basketball on teams, played basketball in a college, and you come, I came to expect something on the court whenever I played basketball, and I, I learned to expect and accept a, a certain level of continual abuse, continual conflict. Uh, that you get used to, you expect the jostling and the screaming, screaming from coaches, screaming from your teammates, uh, screaming from uh, fans. I come to expect it. I was, I was sharing a funny story this past week as uh, one of my favorite basketball memories when it came to fans is uh, we were playing UNC Asheville and um, their, their frat section uh, was behind the visitors bench. We were the visitors and uh, they screamed abuses at us. The entire game and some of them were wildly and evilly creative Uh, but we came to expect you expect abuse you become to expect it from your coach um, the elbowing the 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 fighting in practice even you expect it so 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 when 
my friends and I, or teammates and I, if we would ever go into a gym off-season um, with someone that did not play basketball on a regular basis, they were not expecting those things. And so when you play with a person that's not expecting that continual abuse in some way, um, there's a greater fragility. There's a greater outrage when those things do happen. There's a quickness, a real quickness to quit and leave if they're mad or outraged. There's a brittleness to them. They're easily injured. But if you play with those that expect that kind of abuse, uh, there's, there's a strength, there's a resiliency, there's an endurance, if you will. I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast uh, recently this past week, and he had this big announcement about how he is leaving Los Angeles for Texas. And um, he, he has uh, qu quite a bit of rationale, actually, but this, this is one of them. He said, you know, uh, uh, when you live in Los Angeles, uh, you expect sunniness all the time. You expect um, new, cool things all the time. And he said, when you expect a certain pain-free, always beautiful existence, he said, that makes people crazy. He said, you're either delusional about how the rest of the world is living, or you're depressed that your life is not matching your expectations of what it should be. There, were, there was some wisdom there from Joe Rogan. Uh, different expectations will radically view or radically change your view of a certain thing. Let me give you another example. Uh, uh, the offices for the Way Church, okay? Uh, th the offices are in a little storage room connected, what used to be a storage room, connected to my garage. It's a tiny little cramped space, okay? Uh, if I tell someone the Way World Headquarters are in there and they walk in they are most certainly disappointed because when you hear the word words world headquarters you think amazing campus but what they see is a cramped and i'll use real estate words here rustic charming little space right they're disappointed but if if i if i were to tell you this check out this storage room and you walk in you would say oh that's not bad. That's kind of cool. I like what you've done with the place. You might say that. It's the same place. It's the same space, but your expectations will guide what you think of it. Okay? I, I think that most Christians, going back to what I said, most Christians expect peace to mean life calmness and the absence of pain. Right? They don't expect they don't expect life to be turmoil and conflict and pain as a normative thing, as a very normative thing. So I, I, because of that, I do think Christians are defeated and discouraged all the time because they don't expect the fight. They don't expect the conflict. They don't expect the difficulty. They, they don't expect it to be so dirty and so ugly. And so we, we just get discouraged that we're discouraged. Right? We didn't expect it. Uh, I want you to remember back, uh, if, if, if those of you who can remember, remember uh, before you were a Christian, a Jesus follower, uh, you, had, you had one enemy. It was God. It was God. And, and 
now, now this, if, if, if you want a perfect enemy, God is actually the very best enemy to have, right? He's always trying to save those that hate him. <laughs> He's always trying to reconcile with his enemies. Uh, okay, so, so right when you made peace with God, right, you walked into a reconciled relationship with him, your enemy became your friend. Okay. Now at that point, you got a new set of enemies. And those enemies do not play nice. They play very dirty. They don't want to help you. They, they actually want to take you down. Who are your enemies? And we'll, we'll touch on these later. Your enemies are the world, uh, yourself, <laughs> and Satan. The world, yourself, and Satan. Now, Let's get back to expectations. If, if your expectations about what the Christian life should be are off from what the scriptures describe, you're going to run into deep, deep troubles. Okay, And I'll use a simple war analogy uh, about fighting your enemies. Uh, if you think if you think too much of your enemies and you think they're too big and they're too strong, this is what you're going to do. You're either going to run away, you're going to surrender, or do nothing and allow them to basically rule over you, all right? You'll always be under their power, under their servitude. Uh, but if, but, but, but on the other side, like if you think too little of your enemies, uh, if you think, oh, they're just not a big deal, what you won't do is you will not prepare. You'll go into a fight without the proper gear and the resources and the weapons and the training and the allies and the intel and the strategy. And do you know what that means? It means death. It means that your enemies are going to make quick work of you. Okay, so... Who are those enemies again? The world, yourself, and Satan. Um, these are the worst enemies, and they don't want to make a friend, and they don't want to reconcile. Now, now a as a Christian, and I want to make this really clear, these enemies cannot destroy you. They really can't. John 17 tells us that um, uh, nothing can take you out of the Father's hand. Nothing can ultimately destroy you. But what they can do and this is what happens in the life of many Christians, is they can mess with you so much and make you totally ineffective. They can take your peace. They can make you anxious. And they can give you, they'll make you miserable and sour and discouraged and with no power for yourself and for others and your community and your city. Uh, so, so, so they can destroy your peace and just riddle you with anxiety. They can do that. They can't destroy you but they can mess with your peace. So I, the second area I want to cover is like, okay, what, what do you mean by peace? What do you mean by peace? What is peace? Uh, let me give you a brief sentence that will just be a good summary of what peace is. Uh, peace is this confidence of God's good and wise control over and in your life. I'll say that again. Peace is confidence. And maybe even a trust, a leaning on. Peace is a confidence of God's good and wise control over your life. So, the opposite of peace is anxiety. So, my friends who don't know Jesus, they define peace as calmness. Like, 
in this way. Like, I got away from it all. I went to a spa. I went to a retreat. I had a beach day. I had a personal day. I got a massage. It was quiet there. There were scented candles. I had some wine, maybe a legal joint. Um, I did breathing. I, I, I really slowed it down, did some yoga, and I had some peace for an hour. I went to a guy's weekend or a lady's weekend. That's how they define peace as I had calmness. But this is what happens is when you come back from the ladies weekend or the, the guys weekend and you make a re-entry into domestic or professional chaos, the peace as they define it actually floats away pretty quickly, right? Because life is not calm. It's definitely not calm. Uh, that's why we're going to say this peace does not mean situational calmness. Okay? Peace is this. Peace is a confidence that God has good and wise control over your life, especially in the chaos. That's especially there. Uh, peace is this. God has good and wise control over all of my life. Um, Paul says this in Philippians 4 and we read it this morning, is don't be anxious about anything. Let's get some peace. Okay, so where do you get peace? If you talk to licensed counselors, this is across the board. I'm not just talking about Christian counselors here. Um, and you talk about the healing of a client, a patient, the retraining, the process. If you're, if you're a Brene Brown fan, the work. You do the work, right? You do the emotional work. If you talk about um, those that uh, trained guides in group therapy, uh, you're going to find this across the board. It's always accompanied by some sort of gratitude. So, so let's listen to Paul in, in Philippians 4. This is verse 6. He says this, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he says that. Okay, don't be anxious. He says that. Not that. Don't be anxious. And then he gives us the contrast, right? The contrastive. But, but what? Um, I'm going to pray my fears and my anxieties. We kind of looked at that last week, right? We, we, we pray our anxiety before God, not by ourselves or not dumping on others, but we process our anxieties with God. So we pray and we shamelessly ask. That's what Paul is saying, is we're going to pray him to God. We're going to shamelessly ask. And, and this is fascinating in Philippians 4. Uh, he says this, those two are going to always be accompanied by something and they're never going to be apart from something and he says this the asking and the praying is always going to be present with thanksgiving he says that in verse six okay that's the secret now if you've ever been in the recovery rooms alcoholics anonymous um uh sexual addiction anonymous or addicts anonymous if you've ever been in sort of celebrate recovery or group therapy of any time uh, especially uh, especially therapies related to any sort of addiction uh, gratitude is the therapeutic tool for 
addiction recovery. All right. So, so even now, even now, I have a practice where every morning, and I get up pretty early. Every morning, I try to think of three things that I have gratitude for. Um, this morning, I was grateful for uh, bagels. I was thankful for air conditioning, and I was thankful for the lemon tree in our backyard. It's three very simple, mundane-sounding things. Okay, why, why is, why, what, what does that do? Uh, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, uh, uh, and I'm going to quote him here. Gratitude exclaims this very properly. How good of God to give me this. That's gratitude. Then he goes on. Adoration says, what must be the quality of of that being whose far off and momentary coruscations now coruscations means um, small little flashes or twinkles or glitterings all right very tiny coruscations all right so let me start over what must be the quality of that being whose far off and momentary coruscations are like this one's mind this is CS Lewis one's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. So, so, so gratitude, um, divorced from blesser, divorced from creator, divorced from giver, right, ends up only being like this micro dose of medicine when what we really need is a full dose of gr- the gratitude medicine. All right. So what's the full dose of gratitude medicine? It's like, it's this. It's whatever you do, I thank you, sir. But not even sir. Father. You, You do this for me. Thank you. You arrange my day. Thank you. You guide my financial well-being. Thank you. These things that grow around me and fly around me and are creeping and crawling around. You, you, may, you did that. Thank you. These things that make my taste buds happy. Thank you. You order my life. You, you, you see my cares. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right? Th- thanks for watching. Thanks for seeing. Thanks for controlling and uh, uh, being over all the variables when I just see a few variables. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for moving in other people when I can't convince them or move. Thank you. Thank you for being wiser than... Thank you for that. Thank you for being over people who I think are powerful and have control over my... Thank you for being over them too. Thank you for seeing my heart alongside your greater plan. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for not running away when I run away. Thank you for being more loyal than I'm loyal. Thank you. You, See, this is it. You literally cannot say those things and be anxious at the same time. Thank you for being God and I'm not God. Thank you for that. Um, what what is peace right what is peace uh, peace is the confidence and 
trust of God's good and wise control over my life. Uh, some of you have heard me say this before. Um, the fruit of the Spirit are not separate fruits, but the fruit of the Spirit, all of them together are 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 one. Um, and so they appear all at once. You can't cut one from the herd and try to work on that one. You can't do it, right? Um, uh, but this is what we try to do. I try to do this, is we try to artificially create peace in the lab of our hearts. We make synthetic peace. We work on peace, all without the Spirit's help. So this is how you and I, we, we can artificially create create synthetic peace. But it's really not all of the fruits of the Spirit. So how do we make counterfeit peace? How do we do this? Well, what we do is we work on our steadiness. We say, I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be collected. I'm working on synthetic peace. And you can actually become very good at synthetic artificial peace. Uh, You can become unflappable. You can become unmoved. You can become a rock for everyone around you. But... Uh, when you have synthetic artificial peace when you are unmoved it also means something else it means that you have steeled yourself to normal emotions and stimuli and you have unintentionally closed off other fruits of the spirit like kindness and gentleness and being tender-hearted. Those two are fruits of the Spirit. So if synthetic peace means that you can't be moved, then it means you also cannot be tender-hearted. The only way we can tell when it is Spirit-driven peace and not synthetic peace is what? Is when they all grow together when they all bloom together. See, working on one of the fruits of the Spirit is like on weightlifting days. Mine are Monday, Wednesday, Friday. On weightlifting days, I just get a barbell and say, I'm working only on my right arm. I'm only going to just do that. I'm working on artificial peace. And it would look bizarre. I would have this big, massive arm, but it wouldn't have a wholeness it wouldn't have a symmetry with the rest of the body. I, I wouldn't be one, would I? Which brings us to an interesting aside. So the Greek word for anxiety is uh, marinma, and what it means is uh, to be in pieces. And there's this funny creative use of marinma, to be in pieces. Uh, in Luke 10, Jesus is with Uh, You know that familiar story with uh, Mary and Martha? And what does he say to Martha? Jesus says this to Martha. He goes, "Um, you're you're Marinma, right? You're divided and distracted, and you've got too many things going on. And, And then he has this play on words, and he says, but Mary, Mary 
is one-minded. See, not in many pieces, but one-minded, single-mindedness. Not in pieces, not anxious. It's the opposite of anxiety is what? This oneness. So how do, how do we... In, how do we practically approach this to heal it? If you look in verse 8, uh, Paul says this. He says, okay, look, the brethren and the cistern. He says this, uh, whatever is true or, or whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, you know, you should really think about those things and not the things of your anxiousness and your anxiety. So, Um, Let me recap Paul. Um, Peace comes from something. The assurance of salvation. And you'd be like, wait, wait, really? That kind of seems Christian basic. I don't think that's what he said in verse 8. Why do I say that? Um, All of these many things are mined in pieces. Um, We are actually using many, many things to save ourselves. Let me show you. What are you thinking when you're anxious? What do I have to do? How am I going to do it? What should I do? How much should I do? Is that enough? Is it good enough? What am I missing? I'll do more. I'll work harder. I'll pay attention. I'll correct it. I'll fix it. I'll get up early. I'll stay up later. How sh- I should stop this. I-, I-, I should be more woke. Am I woke enough? How do I know when I'm woke enough? Or do, you- do-, do you see what's happening? Anxiety is this, is we are looking inward. And we're looking inward selves, and we're looking into all of the works and efforts that we have to what? We're looking inside for some truth. We're looking inside for honor. We're looking inside for justice. We're looking inside for purity. We're looking inside to our own work for loveliness and commendations and excellence. See, you already know the, the endless wormhole cycle that puts you in and puts me in. Um, so, so peace is this. And this is what Paul is saying there in verse 8. Peace is this. All the truth, all the honor, all of the justice, all of the purity, all the loveliness, all the commendations, all of the excellence, uh, uh, right? That's found off sight from me. I do not supply it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's found in Christ alone. Do you see what I said about peace comes from this place in assurance of salvation? It's like, oh, that is on Christ. That is on Christ. Do you see how it traces back to the very assurance of our salvation? Okay, I I do want to confront, this is the last thing I want to do, is just confront what I think are... Um, peace assassins. And I said them. Um, they're the world, they're yourself, and they're Satan. Okay, which sounds really strange, right? When we're talking about peace. But but, but let's look at this. Um, uh, worldliness. Uh, uh, Keller, Keller says worldliness is a secularism, which means uh, everything in the now. Nowism. Uh, worldliness is the present. Worldliness is uh, the, the here and now is all that matters and all we have. So that's what I mean by worldliness. Uh, I, I was reading Los Angeles Magazine this 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 past week, and if you look at if you read it from cover to cover, so the ads 
are, are one category for sure. But if you read the articles, especially, um, it was a best of LA edition of Los Angeles magazine. And, um, in all the articles, and then they sum it up at the bottom is, um, all the, 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 the best tacos you should be eating. The best barbecue you should be eating. The best sushi you should be eating. And, and then you thumb through it and the best places to be seen in LA. The best places to see in LA. Um, the best things of LA. The best, what are, what are things you should be wearing in LA? What, what are the things you should be driving in? Where, where should you be living in LA? Right? And this is what, this is worldliness. Worldliness, it, it's, it's, it's basically the spirit of the age. Right? It says, is, that says this, you would be better if you only ate Sonora Town tacos when you had tacos. Right? You would be better if your vacation Instagrams were at this place and this place and probably not that place. You would experience a better you if you just wore this certain watch and you had this certain makeup and you drove that and you lived there and you parented like that and you drank this. See, no one is at peace with a worldly mindset because there is an endless list of bucket that will make you better. So that's worldliness. That's the, that's the first assassin to peace is that we believe, we believe that, oh, I would, I would have more, be better, be further along if I did all of those things. The second is this, uh, I call it yourself, but really the New Testament calls it your flesh, right? The desires, the, the desire to be God and call the shots, uh, to make, to be in control, to make the rules, the desire to get all of the glory and focus on yourself. That's a fleshly desire. That's, that's yourself. Um, uh, uh, that's a person who needs to be in charge, will not have peace. A person who needs to be liked all the time will not have peace. Okay, so that's the second category. The third category is Satan. And I know that sounds like a lot of uh, primitive voodoo mumbo-jumbo when I say Satan is a real enemy to your peace. I know that. I get that. Uh, I uh, Satan, and I'll say this boldly, is a supernatural, intelligent being who hates God and who hates you. And he is a leader of many other beings that hate God and you. Now, if you can say, now, <laughs> whoa, um, do you really believe that, that there's a Satan just prowling around? Well, I, I will say this, is that um, there is a tiny, tiny minority of human beings across all of history that don't believe in spirits. So you are in the tiniest of minorities if you do not believe in some other spiritual beings. Now, his job, Satan's job, he cannot destroy you, but he can destroy your peace. Now, uh, most most Christians, I would say this, most Christians reduce their problems to one of those, those categories. The worldliness of it all, um, and 
uh, some, or they reduce it to, okay, myself, I'm the biggest problem, or they reduce it to say, okay, Satan is my problem. Uh, if, if, if you think the world it presses too much and too great, then probably a Christian like that will um, want to fix it through the intellect and through uh, philosophy and through logic. If you think the self is um, an enemy to your peace, you will work on personal piety and you will work on accountability and you will work on um, uh, uh, behavior modification to a large degree. Uh, it, but if you think um, uh, Satan is kind of the nexus of destroying your peace, what you'll do is you'll overblame Satan. You'll overpower Satan. And when you do that, and when you, you say, um, you know what, um, I lost my pencil. Satan must be trying to get at me today. My battery's dead. Satan's trying to get my peace. Like, if you just keep on, everything has to do with Satan. What you can do is reduce personal responsibility. But the fact of the matter is this, is all three of these enemies work together. So what does that teach us when it comes to anxiety? Anxiety is incredibly complex, and you cannot reduce it. Let me give you. Let me show you how that works. So, if you're online and you're on Instagram or Facebook or just whatever your platform is, um, you can watch influencers that you follow, and you can begin to think this will be the world working. Um, if you're going to be attractive, you need to look like this. Okay, that's the world. And then the self says, what does that do? The self is, okay, I'm buying into this to some degree, and it will drive you to spend more money than you should on stuff. It will drive you to eating disorders. It will drive you to be more sexually active than you ever thought of before. See, that's yourself, your flesh. You're like, I. But then there's something else. Then Satan comes into the picture. Uh, if I were to ask you, okay, what is Satan's main job? You, you know, Satan means accuser. If we were to put it in the legal realm, Satan is a prosecutor. His main job is to prosecute you. It, listen, this might this might blow your mind if you've been following Jesus for a while. Is did you know that Satan's main job is not to convince you to do naughty things? Uh, we take care of that ourselves. <laughs> All right. His his main job is to accuse you. You call yourself a Jesus follower? You call yourself a son or a daughter of the Most High God? Pfft. Yeah, right. See, all of those three work together. The world, yourself, and Satan as accuser, and they will assassinate your peace. 
They won't assassinate you, but they will assassinate your peace. And what is the goal? To get your conscience to go crazy. To go to pieces. When Satan accuses you, what is happening? He's getting after your assurance of being saved by God and not yourself. How does he do it? Let's look at your history. Right? Let's look at the things you've done. You know, I, I can't predict this, but I'll be in a quiet place. I'll be driving. I'll be somewhere. I'll even be in my office. And I will think back to things that I have done. And they will be so vivid. And they will be so real. And my face will get hot. I hate it. He'll, he'll, he'll make you look back. You know what he also does is he accuses your feelings. You know how he does that? He says, um, remember those times when you felt so connected, so fired up, so charged up for God? You're not like that anymore, are you? Um, you, you know what else he'll do is he will accuse and attack you for personal sins that have stayed and clung to you. And he'll say, you know, you really should be further along than you are right now. You're pathetic. You're immature. No, no. What if what if the program's not working on you? What if you're actually not a son or daughter of the Most High? See, what does the accuser do to assassinate your peace? He tries to get you to be more consumed with your sin than you are with your Savior. Uh, the old Scottish minister... I love this, Robert McShane. That's why he said this, look, for every look at your sin, take 10 looks at Christ. Take 10 looks at Christ. All right, so now what? You're mad at yourself that you don't have peace and you are so anxious? Look, 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 look. I, I mean no disrespect, but you think you're too much of a big deal. Look, God is working the fact that you hate it and you're sad is proof that he's working. Let him bring you to the peace. Don't make yourself and demand that you yourself bring yourself to peace. Let him do that. Now, what works? It's the reminder. Oh, yeah. It's not the many pieces that I'm fretting over. Oh, I'm going to believe again that God has good and wise control over what's going on in my life. Oh, you know what? I'm going to believe that it is Christ doing in me. It is what Christ has done for me and is doing in me and will do in me. See, the world and yourself and Satan will actually 
work against you telling yourself the gospel like that. And we will get mesmerized again by what? Self-justification. Worrying about all of those pieces that we think are going to what? Fix us and makes us make us better. See, they will keep us from the sheer mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus follower. I mean this for you in your life. I mean it for my heart too. You will get back to knowing peace again. How, how do I know this? Because the God of peace is with you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Jesus, you have good and wise control over my life and the life of my friends and the lives of those who do not know you. Jesus, bring your peace by your Spirit into my anxious, divided, fretting heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.